Finally tonight, a very curious sighting in a remote part of the country, a mysterious metal structure that offers a lot more questions than answers. Whoa, 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 turn around, turn around. There's this thing, there's this thing back there. We gotta go look at it. The crew had spotted an object of unknown origin. Now the Bureau of Land Management investigating just how that mystery monolith came to be. The structure not only appears to be solid and heavy, but is more than two times the height of this man, which makes it even more of a mystery as to who installed the structure or how they got it there. It's out there some good fodder for conspiracy theorists for sure. The Utah monolith was a viral sensation that swept not only the United States, but the world. An object without a clear purpose, but full of possibilities that latched onto the psyche of the internet, spreading like wildfire while people searched for who or what was responsible for this strange phenomenon. According to the Utah Department of Public Safety Aero Bureau, it all began on November 18, 2020, while they were working with the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources to conduct a count of bighorn sheep in southeastern Utah. Brett Hutchings, the pilot manning the mission helicopter, recalled that day. We uh, were working down in southeastern Utah, kind of down around the Moab area, for people that are familiar with that. We had been out conducting surveys for two days, working in this area that was called Lockhart Valley. On the third day, as we were flying over some of the lower terrain that we searched for these uh, big Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep and desert bighorn sheep, one of the biologists happened to be looking down out of the aircraft right below us uh, in these little small red rock canyons and all of a sudden spotted what's come to be known as the monolith now. Anyway, he, uh, he immediately started going, whoa, 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 what's that? Turn around, turn around. And I was like, what, what do you got? And he's like, he didn't know how to describe it. <laughs> the sun happened to hit the thing and so it, it was pretty obvious to me what he was looking at. I went, whoa. What in the heck is that thing, man? We circled around it about two or three times, and and uh, I said, okay, we got to take a break, go down and check this thing out. And my first impression of it was, is that is this something that NASA or somebody put this thing here, and they're bouncing satellite signals off of it? So we just kind of landed, and, and Wade and Brad and Dustin, the other two biologists who were with Wade and I, proceeded to walk, hike down to it. We uh, landed up above it. So I started filming them as they were walking down. In the videos Brett took, the monolith is dwarfed by the Martian-looking landscape as they descend into the crevice it was hidden in. Immediately, it ignited the imaginations of those investigating. Okay, the intrepid explorers go down to investigate the uh, alien life form. <laughs> They've cut it in. Who does this kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah, it's just wild. The video shows a shimmering three-sided stainless steel pillar against the red rocks, towering the height of two men. Gabriella Angeletti, an early reporter on the story, described it as, It was around 10 to 12 feet tall, and it was installed on the sandstone floor in a remote cove in uh, Canyonlands. Canyonlands is just, you know, a colossal place. It's uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world, but it's actually one of the most remote national parks that there are. It's 
for outdoorsy people, it's really not a, a major national park like a like a more popular national park like Arches or something. There's no facilities or any artwork there, or really anything around it. Lieutenant Nick Street, Department of Public Safety spokesman, would later elaborate on the monolith's construction. Using rivets, he said, somebody took the time to use some type of concrete cutting tool or something to really dig down, almost in the exact shape of the object, and embed it really well. It's odd. There are roads close by, but to haul the materials to cut into the rock and haul the metal, which is taller than 12 feet in sections, to do it all in that remote spot is definitely interesting. So they took off, thinking it would be nothing more than a fun thing to share with their department. We kind of inspected the thing for about 30 minutes, trying to figure out who had put it there, if there's any... There's literally no markings on it. And so at the end of it, we just climbed back in the aircraft and went back to doing what we we do. And later on that day for work, we have a a group app. And I sent a picture of it out and I said, all I said to the the guys that I work with was, does anybody know what this thing is? And then one of them chose to send it out on the Instagram account for our department. And two of the local television stations picked up on it. So I called this guy, his name's Andrew Adams, that works for KSL TV5 here. I said, okay, so we conducted the interview and I told him, I said, hey, we really don't want people to know where this is. As soon as the story hit the news, it became obvious that this was not going to be just a weird thing around the office. The buzz was immediate as the story took on a life of its own. New York Times, ABC, NBC, You could not turn on the news without hearing about what was now being called the Utah monolith. For most of the time when all this was going on, I was out of uh, cell phone range. My wife, my parents were all getting phone calls because people couldn't get hold of me trying to find out the location. Once the location was discovered, like my wife jokingly said, I'm going to quit my full-time job and just become your agent because I wasn't aware any of the calls and stuff because we were still out doing the sheep counts. Yeah, it was kind of just a completely surreal experience almost. I had people that I hadn't talked to in 35 years that were calling me up or trying to get, hey, just saw you on the news, you know. I had, I've got a friend over in Switzerland that goes, sent me an Instagram thing and, and I finally figured out how to answer him and he goes, is this you? And I'm like, yeah. I go, it's crazy, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, it really is, man. He goes, you're all over the news in Europe and stuff. The monolith became the internet's new obsession as theories flooded social media. I think that we were just still in the thick of the pandemic and it was great, um, fun distraction. The Reddit buzz around it also propelled things a little bit. You know, I think anything that forces people to think about aliens or the unknown or, you know, gives them a sort of some existential questions that I'm sure we all had at the end of last year would, you know, really become popular and take off the way it did. People, it was interesting, honestly, because people were having really strong reactions to the monolith. It made them curious and it made them angry in a funny way, as, you know, all viral things do. And but maybe another aspect that was that it was really, it was installed in this beautiful red cove in Canyonland. So the pictures were really strong. I can definitely see why people went out there in droves and, you know, wanted to photograph it and be a part of this. It was really a global thing. It was, we were all experiencing the monolith together after a year of being very divided. <laughs> yeah. 
The story had tapped into the psyche of a world searching for a distraction, going instantly viral. Douglas Van Praet, founder and chief strategist at Intent LA, a brand strategy agency that applies behavioral science to business challenges, explained why the story of the Utah monolith spread so quickly. You know, your brain is sort of designed to pay attention to pattern interruption and, and contrast, right? So you notice differences. And having something appear out of nowhere in a natural setting, which is clearly, you know, um, something that doesn't belong, you know, something manufactured by man, you know, just the absolute randomness of it is the first thing that will grab your attention. People needed to know who built it and why. Yeah, I mean, I 100% believe that it could have been aliens. <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, you know, that just added to you know, people's fascination with this. You know, there's something really mysterious about the structure appearing out of nowhere and uh, no one being able to claim it. When the Utah Highway Patrol initially posted the images on Facebook, the caption ended with, what do you think it is? Alien emoji. The top comment under the picture is, I don't know, but put it back. It's 2020, we've had enough surprises this year, in all capital letters. While others appear to take it more seriously, sharing their theories, one person wrote, looks from the dirt and condition of the metal to be recent, a marker for something. Another wrote, it's a sun ray absorber and heat maintainer marker that can store heat and dispose of wastewater on the surface and under the surface. See the H2O behind it? It's a refuel station and dump site for spacecraft like a gas station. See the crack behind it? It leads to the underground spacecraft. It's easy to figure out. One comment even mentions that they had recently seen a UFO in Ogden, near where the monolith was found. It was hardly the first sighting in the area. A hotspot for unidentified aerial phenomena sightings, Utah is known for its strange lights. I've seen things out in the West Desert that I can't explain back when I was flying emergency medical services. I remember I had a flight from down in southern Utah. And again, it was like 2 or 3 a.m. And I was looking out to the west with the goggles, and I could see this huge thing that looked like, the only thing I could think of, it reminded me of like a giant blimp, you know, like the, the Hindenburg or something like that. And it was out flying, and it was gradually coming down, and it just kept moving north. It was almost keeping pace with the helicopters I was flying to the north and I kept looking at it at the goggles trying to figure out what it was and then I'd look to see if I could see it with my naked eye and I couldn't see if there were any lights on it or anything. But once again, it's out in this restricted area in these test ranges that are out west of Salt Lake. And so, but eventually it just continued this gradual decline down into an area that's known as Dugway Proving Grounds, which is where they <laughs> they did a lot of testing and stuff with uh, biological and chemical munitions and stuff. So who knows what it was. I don't know if it was military. I just know it was really odd and I'd never seen it before. With the notoriety of the story, Brett was even contacted by a team of researchers, hoping he would be able to help them find the monolith. I actually got a phone call. Andrew Adams, after he did the piece and it kind of exploded, he called me wanting to know the location. But I didn't give it to him at the time because nobody had discovered the location, you know. But he wanted, uh, the guy that owns Skinwalker Ranch wanted to bring some of his scientists down there to look at the monolith. I said, 
you know, I'm not going to disclose where it's at. The area where this is located, there was one road. I mean, we put out, when I told Andrew, I said, okay, when I gave him the video and the still photos, I said, hey, we don't want people to know where this is because it's kind of in a, you know, we knew that there weren't any bathrooms, that it's quite a drive out there, um, that people could get stuck. You know, it wasn't wasn't because it was dangerous or anything, but it kind of created the appearance that we were trying to hide where this thing was located. And it kind of created that mystery. A Reddit user who goes by the name of <clears throat> Bearfucker took the search for the monolith into his own hands. On November 24th, literally one day after the Department of Public Safety had released their statement, the Redditor posted the coordinates to the monolith, releasing the methods he used to discover it. I looked at rock type, sandstone, color, red and white, no black streaks like found on higher cliffs in Utah. Shape, more rounded, indicating a more exposed area and erosion. The texture of the canyon floor, flat rock versus sloped, indicating higher up in a watershed with infrequent water. I took all of that and lined it up with the flight time and the flight path of the helicopter. From there, I know I am looking for a southeast facing canyon with rounded red-white rocks and most likely close to the base of a larger cliff mesa and with a suitable flat area for an AS-350 helicopter to land. Took about 30 minutes of random checks around the Green River, Colorado River Junction before finding similar terrain. From there, it took another 15 minutes to find the exact canyon. He then used Google Earth Pro historic imagery option to determine that the monolith had been installed between August 2015 and October 2016, which offered a potential explanation could the monolith be leftover set dressing from an HBO show? There is a lot of film production out here in Utah just because the geology of the land is so unique. I, I can't think of any other state in the Union that has the diversity of landscape that Utah has. And I'm incredibly fortunate that I get to fly over it and I get to see so much of it. And I know that apparently parts of Westworld were filmed here, but I don't think that there's anything because it would have been a known thing. Westworld had been filming in the area around this time, but they had worked closely with the local government. For anything to be cut into the ground in the same way the monolith was, it would have required permits, none of which exist for the monolith. Even though there was too much red tape for it to have come from a television show, many theorized it could be the work of an artist. Gabriella, who writes for the art newspaper, explained to us, like UFOs, Utah contains a multitude of artists that use its land as part of their work. Utah is just a really uh, inspiring, beautiful, vast place. It's very alien-like in some places. There's a sort of like Martian landscape in some corners of it. Also, the land is cheap, which is why a lot of land artists created work out there and in you know the surrounding area in Nevada. Utah and that whole area of the world in general, really influential to like some of the most interesting people and eccentrics in history. Everyone from Edward Abbey to Michael Heiser, even people like Art Bell. It's curious that the desert does seem to allow people to feel closer to the cosmos in a way, and um, that things like petroglyphs and uh, different earthworks tends to create a conflation between the ancient and uh, the alien, and it really the desert can really expand people's imaginations and uh, attracts UFO watchers, definitely. And uh, maybe some people believe it attracts the aliens themselves. 
One artist that became the focus of particular interest was John McCracken. John McCracken was a minimalist uh, American artist. Uh, he spent a big part of his life living out in the West. In the mid-1960s, he started making these where you standing uh, plinth sculptures that uh, sort of resembled a monolith structurally, but they don't have the same luster as his works. Um, his works were uh, had a really reflective surface. You know, he made these sculptures from a really finely polished stainless steel. Um, sometimes they were made some wood coated with fiberglass and resin to achieve that really reflective surface. So I spoke with Almine Rex, who's represented John McCracken since the 1990s, and um, she told me that he, first of all, he would never put bolts on any of his sculptures, that the sculpture was very crudely built, that actually she didn't even believe that it was art. And, um, <laughs> and um, you know, that McCracken was always very attentive to this reflective element of his work. She said something interesting that uh, he had this very poetic idea that the work would reflect the changes in the world for decades and centuries to come. After our first article came out, when David Zwerner, who also deals in his work, told us that it, you know, maybe that it wasn't, and then he told the New York Times that he was divided on whether it was or wasn't, but he did believe that it was John McCracken's work. Elmine reached out to me, actually, to, you know, completely rolled out that idea. But I can see why the comparison was made and why maybe people believe that it could be, because he lived in uh, Santa Fe, Las Vegas, Reno, so he was in that part of the world. There are records of him installing uh, a similar plinth in the desert in the 1970s, but there's no documentation or photographs of anything ever being installed in Utah. So he was an established artist already at that time, so there would have been some record of a work in Utah if it ever existed. Another thing that uh, Almin uh, shared with me was that McCracken wanted to make work that looked like it was made by aliens or something that maybe aliens like left behind on Earth, which is really interesting. Uh, he definitely believed in UFOs, he believed in time travel and the idea of the multiverse. And um, yeah, he even claimed to have traveled to other planets himself and other dimensions and to have spoken to aliens. John McCracken's son believes that it is possible that it was his father. Recalling that one time, John said that he would like to leave his art in remote places for others to find. Whoever it was, none of them could have expected the chaos that ensued. With the coordinates known to the world, the floodgates were open. People were on a mission to get a look at the monolith with their own eyes. That post just prompted thousands of people to go out there and take selfies and, you know, destroy the landscape and piss off all the locals in Moab. So. Yeah, so shame on you, bear fucker. There were people off-roading and leaving trash there and just generally being obnoxious about the monolith on Instagram and, you know, on social media. It's interesting to note that uh, the town that leads into Canyonlands, uh, Moab, survives on tourism, but it's really been negatively impacted by tourists. There's people causing damage to petroglyphs, you know, that's constantly on the news and just people really being trashy and not really respecting the landscape. But these tourists would soon be cut off. On November 28th, the world woke up to the news. Good evening and thanks for joining us for 2 News at 10. Poof! 
it's gone. The monolith in southern Utah that mysteriously appeared is no longer in a remote location near Moab. A photographer says he watched Utah's now famous monolith fall to the ground last weekend. The structure captured worldwide attention after being discovered in a remote area southwest of Moab. How it ended up there is still a mystery. But tonight we know how it vanished. The world would not have to wait long for a reason why the monolith disappeared as Ross Bernards, photographer and drone pilot, posted on Instagram what he had witnessed. As we're standing there, these four guys come around the corner and two of them walked up, two of the four walked up to the monolith and kind of started pushing on it a little. And then they, one of them turned to us and said, uh, hope you got your photos. And then two of them just leaned into it with some big, uh, like using their shoulders to really go into it. And it only took probably two or three big pushes like that and it started to pop up and, and turn over onto the to the right and start leaning. Uh, once they got it probably about 50 degrees, I'd say is, is about where it was. The other two gentlemen came up from behind us that were that were hanging back and they all pushed it back over the other direction. And once they finally got it over, it just popped up out of the ground and then just slammed down. One of the panels came off of it, um, just made a, a huge thud. And as soon as it hit the ground, uh, one of the guys said, um, this is why you don't leave trash in the desert. On December 1st, the YouTube channel, Mr. Slackline, posted a video titled, We Remove the Utah Monolith. Mr. Slackline is the alias for Andy Lewis, who also goes by Sketchy Andy. When reached for comment by a reporter, Lewis texted back, explaining that the reason they removed the monolith was to save the environment from the litter and destruction the monolith was causing. The dismantling of the Utah monolith is tragic, and if you think we're proud, we're not. We encourage artists to create, land management to manage, and the community to take responsibility for their actions and property. Others agreed with their mission. Ross Bernards, in his original post, finished it by saying, If you're asking why we didn't stop them, well, they were right to take it out. We stayed the night and the next day hiked to a hilltop overlooking the area where we saw at least 70 different cars and a plane in and out. Cars parking everywhere in the delicate desert landscape. Nobody following a path or each other. We could literally see people trying to approach it from every direction to try and reach it, permanently altering the untouched landscape. Mother Nature is an artist. It's best to leave the art in the wild to her. You know, all the major land artworks are done on private land. So I think that to install something, something like the monolith that was just placed in a national park, I would definitely take the side of the people who took it down. When you looked at this, you could tell, obviously, it was very well constructed. It wasn't cheaply done. Uh, it was firmly put into place. And it's a shame that the guys that tore it down um, did that, because I think it could have been one of these things that people could have gone to visit and, and taken in for what it was worth. You know, we have incredible scenery here in Utah. Um, we have all these national parks and stuff that are just unbelievable to, to go and check out. And to see this, which is not in one of the park areas, by the way, it's in Bureau of Land Management area. Still, in order to do something like that, the artists should have gotten permission like the other artists did for their works but maybe it was just because of all the red tape that they chose not to do it, it's my guess. But then the guys that chose to go in and tear it down, they're in the wrong too. I mean, two wrongs don't make a right. But the sad part of this was that it was really unique. And I thought, oh, this would be something fun to bring my family back out to eventually. 
Removing the monolith did not stop the story, as the day after Lewis's crew tore down the one in Utah, one appeared in Romania on Mount Choclo, or the Holy Mountain. It was immediately torn down. However, it was largely known that a local welder was the one who built it. Then another, this time in Atascadero, California. Here too, the artist was quickly discovered as Travis Kenny. His first monolith was torn down by a group of men that replaced it with a cross while chanting, Christ is King. Kenny replaced it with a permanent monolith with the approval of the mayor. There were, you know, hundreds of other monoliths that popped up all around the world right after that. All over Europe, some were found in, you know, really remote fields. One popped up in, on Fremont Street in Las Vegas. <laughs> it was really um, just all over the place. And we initially did run a few stories following up on some of the monoliths that first appeared, but then we actually had to stop keeping track and the whole thing died out on some. By November 20th, over 87 monoliths had appeared. Well, that's interesting because the, the essence of virality is imitation, right? So it's very conceivable that what's happening is imitation. I think it was in the early 90s, you know, the crop circles. You know, the, the crop circles that, because it had an alien. And again, why alien? It's like, oh no, it's like we're being invaded by alien, you know, civilization. The, the Earth is under attack by aliens or all the implicit suggestions that run in your mind. But there was crop circles that came out of nowhere, I think, that Led Zeppelin had on the cover of one of their albums. It seems like there was imitation involved, too. So somebody had this idea, and they went out in the middle of the night, and they said, you know, this is going to look like some crazy spaceship landed in this wheat field or whatever. Perhaps others were like, that's kind of cool. Let's try it here, you know, and it spread for, for reasons of imitation. With the world gripped in monolith fever, it was time to capitalize. On December 4th, an Instagram post went up with a covered monolith. The caption read, Checking in. Any collectors interested in an official alien monolith? Asking $45,000. Includes documentation and signed TMFA. The Instagram account belonged to the most famous artist, an art collective founded by New Mexico artist Maddie Moe. A commenter asked, Was it you? Most famous artists shot back. If by you, you mean us? Yes. Maddie Moe was invited by Heidi Zuckerman, CEO and director of the Orange County Museum of Art, onto her podcast, Conversations About Art, where they discussed his involvement with the monolith. The following clips are used with permission from that show. I'm here to say, I didn't do the monolith, but I did not do the monolith. And so I am both the originator and the guy that's just capitalizing on it um, as a result of the artifacts that were created to seed the story which propagated the myth. I'm a, I'm a former tech entrepreneur, built my career uh, creating ad tech companies. When I stepped out of my role as an ad tech executive, I thought about starting a company for myself. And when I started to think about what is the perfect product to sell, I thought of art, largely because it comes with a story and therefore every purchaser uh, becomes a sales agent for you. Um, there's no real price dealing to it. And a few other factors led me to think that art was the right object to sell or right business to build. So I Googled who is the most famous artist. And I found a lot of people that referenced themselves with that adjective, but no one had claimed the noun. And so I claimed the noun knowing that if I created enough relevance around the URL, I would register as the most famous artist when you type into Google the most famous artist. And that would be a good shtick for my conceptual art practice. 
When I looked at the first instantiation of the monolith, I thought to myself, people are going to duplicate this. The original author, whether that's my community, John McCracken, aliens, whatever, is likely not going to take credit because of the illegal nature of the first monolith. So knowing that, I had to think about what is the headline that I could produce that inserts me directly into the discussion and who's the appropriate media outlet to do so. And the headline I thought up is, well, a way to exert my authority would be to sell monoliths, to produce monoliths, demonstrate that I have produced monoliths and sell monoliths and thereby start a dialogue around, well, is this the guy that did it? There has been some criticism around monetizing this activity, but at the end of the day, I'm in the business of art and I have to sell art to survive. Yeah, my job is done because if you Google monolith artist, guess who you find? Matty Moe was successful in his sale as the website lists the $45,000 monolith as sold out. How do you create the value? You do it through emotions and you do it through the element of surprise and scarcity or what's going to happen next. That to me seems like what is, you know, most likely going on with that. And if so, you know, obviously it just shows you how people can, I mean, if the end game was to sell a $45,000 piece of art, but it, you know, it just shows you that you can consciously construct things to create this kind of frenzy. It just, you know, shows you how um, how irrational our reactions are to art, for that matter, and the price points that we ascribe to them. Many in the art world remain skeptical of Mo's claims to be the originator. I mean, I think it's more likely that the monolith was made by aliens than it was made by Maddie Mo. <laughs> Social media has really influenced how we engage with art. For example, I know several examples of people who don't work in the art world or have any art background, but have managed to really carve out a space for themselves online, you know, as authorities on art, you know, just by virtue of being an influencer and being mega popular. It's it's interesting, that can sometimes feel a little bit empty, and uh, the monolith kind of became a unique example of that. You know, for a moment, it captured people's imaginations, uh, you know, people in the art world and people who couldn't care less about art. And then as it sort of became this social media frenzy, it, you know, became less interesting. Social media really has the power to dull an artwork. You see that with Yori Kusama's Infinity Rooms, um, which are essentially uh, selfie chambers. They don't feel like a pure art experience in a way. That's something actually that William Fox mentioned when we spoke, uh, that, you know, this monolith started out as a pure gesture by the artist or whoever did it. Then it was discovered and then it just became something that it was never meant to be. Um, And then it wasn't so good anymore. But if not John McCracken or Maddie Moe, who could have created the monolith? I think it's just going to remain a mystery. Um, you know, there the comparisons to John McCracken or Richard Serra, Donald Judd, etc. You know, I just think these these artists are were all so their work was so well documented, you know, throughout their whole career so that I think it would be really unlikely for something to surface, especially from a, a big name artist. Whether an art piece or a signal from another world, the mystery of the monolith may never be solved. We're profoundly social creatures, and that's why social media is so, you know, powerful, because we will naturally organize in groups 
and that's how it happens and and um you know so it, it, it should be no surprise that you know community is a part of it because it has to be spread within the community and, and oftentimes it doesn't have to be you know super mainstream and broad it can be very specific to a certain community as a matter of fact most viral content is um it's very polarizing, right? The, the best viral content is, is the one where you divide a country in two, right? You know, and, and get them to, to fight it out amongst each other because then you have both sides throwing out messages into the environment. Um, but community is, is, if it wasn't for community, nothing would be shared. And I think COVID has just kind of hit us all humanity in general throughout the entire world. It was just kind of something that was fun to get our minds off of all the crap that's going on because the world for all of us has been transformed because of this. We realize just how, I don't want to say not insignificant, but uh, just how our world can change so quickly, you know, and just almost the blink of an eye, it seems like. My wife and I, you know, we weren't able to go on our vacations as well as everybody else, you know, but it's just, all of a sudden, everything's kind of come to this grinding halt. I think, if nothing else, the whole monolith story gave us a little reprieve for a while and let us kind of just have something else to get our minds off of what's going on. I think um, we were all just really hungry for something that didn't relate to coronavirus, uh, you know, didn't relate to death, uh, didn't relate to uh, you know, very heavy issues around social justice. This, you know, I think we all kind of needed something to melt our brains a little bit. <laughs> Let us know who or what you think created the monolith on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Please give us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Visit www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Tarara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Tarara. Theme music by Tara Monk. A special thanks to Brett Hutchings, Gabriella Angeletti, and Douglas Van Prate for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Also thanks to Heidi Zuckerman for allowing us to use a portion of Maddie Moe's interview from her podcast, a conversation about art. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheremizanov, Kai Engel, Maiden, and Darren Curtis. Links to the artist's websites are available in the show notes. Sound effects provided from freesound.org from users Turner, Kaket, and Kyles.